0: you got to remember as you read and study the Bible, God's Word is completely inspired by the Lord, but chapter breaks and verses were man-made created. With that being said, Genesis 29 really changes direction right around verse 31, and it continues that way into chapter 30. So we're going to try to get to about verse 31 tonight, and then we're going to get to the rest of the section later on. There's no other way to describe this. If you remember correctly, a couple weeks ago we did a study and we had the idea of where Jacob got the blessing from Isaac and took the blessing from Esau. And we talked about how his mom tried to get in there, Rebecca, and push God's will. And we basically said every single person involved was wrong. Genesis 29, everybody in this chapter is wrong. Everybody in Genesis 30 is wrong too. I think until you get to maybe, I'm flipping ahead here, Maybe 32, we finally get to somebody who does something right. This is the soap opera of the world that we live in. And as you go through this, this is the honesty of the Bible. I like to joke sometimes, when somebody comes up to me and says, how do you know the Bible is true? And I say, well, the Bible has to be true, because why else would man record all of our sins and faults? If I was writing a book about myself, I would not include Genesis 29. I wouldn't. So as we continue to go through this, and we've said this example for the last couple of Wednesdays, Paul writes in Romans... These Old Testament saints were given us to us as examples. Examples of what to do, also examples of what not to do. So with that being said, Jacob, who is a deceiver, Jacob, who is a liar, Jacob, who is willing to twist and bend the truth for whatever purpose that he can get, he meets his match tonight. And with that being said, he runs into his uncle Laban, and his uncle Laban... Well, Uncle Laban is quite the guy, so we'll get to that in a little bit. So let's just jump right into this. If you remember the story here, Jacob had left. He's fleeing from home. Esau, his brother, wants to kill him because Jacob took the blessing from him. And we had a moment in Genesis 28 where it looks like Jacob's starting to get this. He had an encounter with God. And it looks like Jacob is maybe starting to go down the right path a little bit here. Let's see what happens. Genesis 29, verse 1. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. Remember, he was sent this way to find a relative, so that way he could marry a good gal, not the gals that were around him. Verse 2. And he looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there. And they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, watering the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. Then he said, Do you know the Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. So he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. Look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he said, Look, if it's still high day and it's not time for the cattle to be gathered together, water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together, and they have all rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and then we water the sheep. Now while they were still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban's mother's brother, that Jacob went near, rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel... And lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that this was, he was Rebecca's son. So she ran and told her father. Rachel and Jacob here are uh, first cousins is basically what it's coming down to. Now there's a lot of interesting stuff here. And I'm going to be honest with you. I read this chapter, read this chapter, and read this chapter. And I'm, Lord, I don't get the first 12 verses. Actually, I, I'm not a big note taker. I just usually write down little stuff so I don't forget For my section here on Genesis 29, 1 through 12, it's blank. Because I kept reading this saying, Lord, what are you trying to tell us with this? And I think what we're trying to see here, maybe it's just a little bit of introduction and what some of these personalities are. Because you look at this and you look at Jacob and you see him excited to be there. He meets Rachel. You see the whole thing with the well and moving the stone. You're like, what's going on? And I started reading all these different ideas and suggestions, and everybody had a different idea. Some people really lifted Jacob up. They said, these shepherd guys were kind of lazy. Let's just all get there and wait for everybody, and then we'll move the stone out. And Jacob is a take-charge type of guy. He got there and said, you know what? Let's quit sitting here and doing nothing. Let's get the stone moved, get the sheep drinking, and get moving on with the day. Possibly. One commentator stopped and said, well, you know what? Rachel was beautiful. We know that. So maybe Jacob said, let's get the stone moved out of the way to get the shepherds moved out of the way, so that way I can have Rachel by myself. You know, was he back to his orneriness and his deceitfulness? You know, we don't know 100% for sure. We do know this, that they were here, and this is a God-ordained moment. God-ordained moment. We as Christians have a tendency to use words in our vernacular that are not biblical. We use words like coincidence, we use words like lucky, etc., things along that type of line. You see this moment right here. Jacob has traveled this long distance. He just happens to run in to his family's relatives. He just happens to run into Rachel. He just happens to have this all worked out. No, this was a God-ordained moment here. And what a beautiful picture that is. I think sometimes as Christians, when we're in the toughness of the day, and the difficulty of the day, we have a tendency to forget God's hand is on us. Through so the good, the bad, and the ugly. Romans 8.28 promises us that in all things, all things, God works for the good. In all things. Psalms even sums it up simple. God is good and does good. I don't know how many times I run into a believer and I hear a comment or a question of, I don't know what God's doing. I don't know sometimes what He's doing either. But it's during those moments I have to stop and remind myself, He is good and does good. He's promised me good. He's promised me a plan for my life. Remember, Jeremiah says, a plan that will not harm me. So it does work out. At the moment, it's difficult. At the moment, it's tough. But we also need to stop and say, Lord, I don't want to focus on the moment. I don't want to. I think sometimes as Christians, we focus on the moment. We look at the situation, not the Savior. Some of you may be out there thinking, okay, well, my moment has been going on for days, weeks, months, years, decade. In the whole scheme of eternity, your life is but a moment you have to remember that. In the midst of difficult times, it's tough to see that. But this is where faith kicks in, not fear. And we have to stop and say, okay, Lord, if you can bring Jacob to Rachel in the middle of the desert, you can take care of whatever I'm facing here today. And I can trust you on this. Not a coincidence, not being lucky, nothing along that type of line. But God ordaining this and then working this out. So really, verses 1 through 12 set the scene for us. Jacob meets Rachel. They're eventually going to get married. And that's what we're going to talk about next. But does anybody have any quick questions, comments over just this? Jacob coming, meeting Rachel, Laban's uh, nephew, etc. Okay. Well, let's see what happens here. Verse 13. It came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him, embraced him, and kissed him. And brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are a bone in my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Now Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel your younger daughter. Laban said, "It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man stay with me." So Jacob served 7 years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. That's a little all moment, isn't it? You know? That's kind of neat. For those that are interested, it says right there about Leah's eyes. Leah's eyes were delicate, verse 17. Depending on your translation, Leah's eyes were weak or weary. One translation comes out and says, Leah's eyes didn't sparkle. Her name, and there's, there's debate on what her name means. Some people think her name means cow eyes. Now, if you've ever met somebody named Leah, please don't tell them that. And if there's a Leah here tonight, I apologize. Some people think her name means cow eyes. But they're basically saying is, you saw Rachel, and you saw Rachel. Verse 17, beautiful of form and appearance. You saw Leah, and Leah didn't do anything for you. Her eyes didn't sparkle. There was nothing about her that really interests you. There was nothing along that type of line. So Jacob saw Rachel, you know, here after a month. What are your wages? Just let me have your daughter. Laban says, sure, work for me seven years. Seven years, you can have my daughter. That's kind of impressive to be 100% honest with you. Because you look at the love that he had, and I want to read verse twenty one one more time. Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Now, I don't want to get into marriage counseling per se, but one of the things I always ask in marriage counseling, if I'm, if I'm talking to a marriage that's going south, I usually ask the guy, how much do you love your wife? He goes, ah, oh, I love her, you know. Okay, what would you do? I mean, I said, if somebody broke into your house, what would you do? I would do everything I can to protect my wife and family. I said, whatever you can. You would not have a problem using force. You would not have a problem surrendering your life, giving up your life for your wife or kids. He says, no, of course not. I said, so you would make the ultimate sacrifice for your wife? He goes, yes. And I said, well, then why won't you pick up your socks? You know, seriously, we're willing to do these huge things, but yet the marriage falls apart when we don't do the little things. Jacob is willing to give seven years up for his wife. That's pretty big. But why can't we in our marriages and our relationships do the little things? Just do the little things. I mean, daughter and I, we're going to be married 18 years here just next month. And I can tell you right now, if you came and asked her, what are the things that James could do to be a better husband? There's going to be nothing deep and spiritual. Not because I have it all figured out. No, I'm not going to make that claim at all. She's going to say, like, if he could just keep the stuff off the kitchen counter, that would help. Marriage, nearly 20 years. Just keep your stuff off the kitchen counter. That'd make me happy, you know? The little things sometimes. Can you go with me to 1 Corinthians, please? 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. And we just actually talked about this a couple Sundays ago. But it's worth mentioning now. Because, yes, surely. No, that's no, that's a valid question. I, I Surely that's a valid question. If I love her so much, why can't I keep my stuff off the kitchen counter? There's two answers to that. Number one, I'm too busy serving the church to, to, to worry about that. Number two, Dawn is too legalistic. That's what it comes down to. So those are the two answers. So if anybody has a real question, please feel free to ask. 1 Corinthians 13. When it talks about love here, go to verse 4. And you heard me say this just a couple Sundays ago. Verse 4, love suffers long is in kind, love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails. That's love. Now, we throw this word love out all the time. So when we say we love our spouse or we love our brother, we love our sister, we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, this is that definition of love. So often I hear people say this, well, I mean, I love them, but no, there's nothing else you can say. If you love them, this is how you're supposed to act towards them. And we've shared this with you before. Take the word love out and put your name in there and see how far you get. James suffers long as in kind. James does not I envy. Mean, James does not pray itself, etc. James does not behave rudely, because you're supposed to be a picture of love. I'm supposed to be a picture of love, and if we can't even put our name in there to say this is how I act, we need to stop and say, "Well, am I really loving like Jesus loved?" Remember the way God described Himself as God is love. The way Jesus said, "Though know you're my disciples by your love," and it's amazing. How this concept of love gets so quickly thrown out the window. And especially love is patient. Love is patient. And you see Jacob here pushing this patience with Rachel. That happens a lot. You see a young couple, they're in love, and you see that temptation to speed up the process physically. And I always tell them love is patient. Love each other and love the Lord enough to be patient. Patient, to save yourself, to wait until marriage, etc. Patience and love. Jacob, verse twenty, served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. That's a pretty neat, powerful verse. And many different contexts. So what happens verse twenty one back to Genesis twenty nine? Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid, Zilpah, to his daughter, Leah, as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It must not be done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week. And we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve me, which is still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and so he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife also. And Laban gave his maid, Billa, to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Verse 30, Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. Here's Jacob, the deceiver. Jacob, the guy that's willing to lie to get what he wants. He meets his match. Now we've got to be careful with this. Because sometimes we take biblical points and we twist them a little bit. So let's talk about a biblical point here. Can you go with me to Galatians, please? Galatians chapter 6. Here's a biblical point we need to talk about. Galatians 6, please. As you're going to Galatians 6, I'm going to share with you a quick verse out of Proverbs Proverbs says this, Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. This is Proverbs thirteen fifteen. The way of the unfaithful is hard. Sometimes life is hard. And we feel like everybody's against us and everything's going on. We need to stop and ask ourselves, Is this something I've created? Or is this something the Lord is using? What's going on here? Jacob... It's really interesting what he runs into. Jacob's name means supplanter or deceiver. That's what his name means. And what did Jacob do? Jacob deceived his dad, his brother, took the birthright. The birthright was supposed to go to the firstborn, and Jacob the younger took it. Now look at what Laban tells him. He says to Laban, you deceived me. And then Laban looks at Jacob and says, Yeah, but don't you understand in our culture, the firstborn gets more than the second? Do you not think those words rang in Jacob's ears a little bit? I mean, because that's exactly what Jacob did. Jacob, as the younger, skipped the firstborn, stole the blessing, and got out of there. What did Laban just do to Jacob? He basically just did the same thing. Galatians, please. Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh, will the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit, will the Spirit reap everlasting life. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now this is why I said we've got to be careful. Because this term karma gets thrown around a lot. You know, you kick some kitten, next thing you know a tree falls on your car. No, that's not what we're saying. And some people walk in this fear of God. Well, I know why this happened to me. Because years ago, I did this bad thing. And it's almost like God is this haunting spirit that looks through everything you did. And once you did one bad thing, he's going to make you pay. No. What we're saying here is this. If you live your life by a certain set of rules and guidelines, well, you know what? That's probably how people are going to treat you as well, too. If you have a tendency to snap and scream... People will probably do that to you. If you have a tendency to be impatient with people, it kind of comes back. You sow what you reap. It always fascinates me when somebody comes in they want to sit down and talk. And they talk about how their life has fallen apart. Relationships have fallen apart. Life has fallen apart. And you stop and you look at how they live their life. And you realize how they treat people and how they act. They're just going to reap what they've sowed over the last 10, 15, 20 years. You know, when you run into that man or woman that's late in life and they have no friends, no nothing, and they've been a grouch for as long as everybody can remember, what just happened? They reaped what they sowed. Jacob lived a life of deceit and was willing to lie to get what he wants. What happens? Well, you know what? He's going to eventually reap that. you just got to be careful. When it says God is not mocked, whatever man sows, he will also reap. We think we get away with stuff. We don't get away with anything. The Lord sees, the Lord knows. And if we choose to walk in the flesh, God sees that, knows that, and responds accordingly. Now, hear me out before you think I'm a bad dad. What, you know, I understand the New Testament is grace. New Testament is grace. Jesus said it's no longer an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But we follow the rule at our house of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Now, hear me out once again before you get mad at me. The reason God did eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth in the Old Testament was supposed to be a fair thing. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So you come up and give me a black eye. Old Testament, I give you a black eye. What happens with human nature? You come up and give me a black eye. It's not an eye for an eye. Now it's an eye for a nose and a tooth. So I do more back to you. Well, then you do more back to me and it escalates. So when I say at our house we have eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, we like to do things to each other. Not in anger, not in frustration, but in fun. I've shared with you before, I don't know why I like to do it, but yet if the boys are in the bath or taking a shower, I go in, flip the lights off and throw cold water on them. I don't know why, just something I like to do. So they say eye for an eye. I lock my bedroom door, I lock my bathroom door when I take a shower. One time I caught them, and just for fun, I dumped ice down their shorts. Just wanted to do it. Eye for an eye. They're allowed to do it back to me. That's what I'm saying, is it doesn't escalate and get out of hand. Because I've been involved with sibling stuff, you've been involved with sibling stuff. One brother does this, the other brother does that. So what happens is the boys come to me, and they're playfully fun, whatever. So-and-so did this to me. I'll say, eye for an eye. Go do it to them. Don't let it escalate. Don't let it get it out of hand. So my point is this in the world we live in, there are consequences to our actions, both physically and also spiritually. Depending on how you choose to live your life and depending on how you try to treat others, the Lord says, you know what, sometimes i got to teach you a lesson. There's this one verse, and it basically says like this, that God will render to each one according to his work. God will render to each one according to his work. Now, this verse is in Psalm 62, it's in Proverbs 24, and it's in Romans 2. You've heard me say out here before, if God says something once, it's important. If he says it twice, pay attention. If he's saying it three times, you better really be paying attention to this. God, in three different passages, in three different books, is telling you he's going to give you to each one according to his works. This should not make you walk in fear. This should make you walk, and I guess, a, a honesty and to make you walk and The diligence to say, how do I act? How do I treat? Jacob, same thing happened to him that he just did to Esau. Skip the younger, excuse me, skip the older, go to the younger, and then try to get away with it. Laban wasn't going to let him do it. So we need to make sure in our Christian walk, how are we doing it? You know what? How are you treating your spouse? How are you treating your kids? How are you treating your co-workers, your friends, your family, etc.? Are we doing the love thing like we're supposed to? First Corinthians thirteen. Are we walking in this truth? Because it does come back to us. That's exactly what happened here to Jacob. It came back to him exactly. And the family problems he has, my goodness. He's Jacob. He is called Israel and he is blessed. But I would not want the family problems that this man has to go through over the next few decades. Now before we get into that, does anybody have any quick questions, comments, over anything we just covered here thus far with that point before we move on? righty. Well, what happens... Verse 30, Jacob also went into Rachel. I just want to say here, there's no way to defend this. This guy has two wives. And it's just, there's no way to defend this. This is not what God wanted. This is not what God intended in any way whatsoever. Certain groups and people have taken this and said, well, the patriarchs had more than one wife. Yeah, it wasn't biblical and it's not what the Lord wanted. Just because it's recorded in the Bible does not mean that's what the Lord said was good. Jacob also went into Rachel and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served laid with Laban so another seven years. Verse thirty one. Then when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now there's a lot of points here, and we're not able to get into them all tonight because we're gonna to have to get into this next week. First point, verse thirty one. That word unloved, some of your translations just comes right out and says hated. Boy, that's an awful thing. I don't know, and maybe some of you have gone down that route before in marriage or relationships. You're not unloved, you're hated. That's an awful spot to be. To be connected to somebody as one, but to be in an unloving, hateful relationship. Now, we're getting ahead of ourselves here a little bit. Rachel has two kids. She dies in childbirth on the second one. But it's interesting that when Jacob is buried, who is he buried with? Leah. Leah ends up birthing him, I believe, six boys and one girl. So, I'm not trying to be crass when I say this, but there's also a teaching point where he hates her, but he still wants to get what he can out of her. That is just the definition of using somebody. There's no way to defend Jacob. There's not. The way he's treated Leah, he wants what he wants from her, so he uses that. He outright dislikes her, outright hates her. But before you start feeling really bad for Leah, just wait till we get to next week. Leah... Isn't the best person sometimes in choices as well either. But I guess what I want to finish with is this. When you see this hatred, you see this unloved, you see this taken advantage of, it's an awful thing. And maybe some of you tonight feel like you're in that position. Unloved, hated, taken advantage of, walked on by the world. Maybe co-workers, maybe kids, maybe family, maybe a spouse, I don't know. But I want to show you something here real quick. Look at verse 31. The Lord saw that. The Lord saw that. See, we have a tendency to put ourselves in this little hole in life. No one cares. No one understands. No one loves. Everybody's against me. And we spend all of our waking energy convincing ourselves how awful, how awful our world and life is. But verse 31, the Lord sees the Lord knows. And, and I don't know what you've brought in tonight. I don't know what health problems, what baggage from the past, what struggles. The Lord sees, the Lord knows, and God is good and does good. It may not feel like it at this moment, but He is. The Lord is good and does good. And if you're born again and saved tonight, no matter how dark the world is you're living in right now, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ that brings light. And that's one thing you got to remember. The problem is, when people have got themselves in such a hole in life, in that darkness and discouragement, that, that relationship with Christ, they don't value that. They push that off to the side. That's not enough to get them through the difficulties of life. And I tell you, I beg to differ with you on that. Leah is unloved, hated, and used. God sees, God knows, and when push comes to shove at the end of her life and the end of Jacob's life, they're the ones that are buried together. And you may not think that means much. Back during biblical times, that meant a lot. And I think that's a blessing to remind us that in the middle of darkness, it can be tough. But you know what? There is that proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. There really is. Anybody have any final questions, comments here before we close up? David. So would be like uh, there would be one flesh? Who, Jacob and Leah? Yeah. yeah. There, there's a oneness there. There's definitely a oneness there. And what's going to happen here with Jacob? He's going to have kids with Leah. He's going to have kids with Rachel, Zilpa, and Billa. And there is a oneness there with each one of them. And Yeah, Leah was the first, yeah. Yep, yep. There is a oneness there. But he makes no bones about it that Rachel was the one that he wanted and loved. But something happens at the end there where it's Leah becomes the one. So, maybe else have anything here before we close up? Oh, sorry, Kathy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Messiah comes through Leah. And once again, here's this unloved, hated, despised woman that has Judah. And that's where the Messiah gets to come through. Because if you were thinking about this, if you were looking at this, you would think it would probably be Rachel. You know, she has Joseph, she has Benjamin, these are the two big wigs. No, it's Judah. It's through Leah. That's pretty neat there. Anybody else have anything before we close up? Alrighty, next week... We're going to get in Genesis, uh, finish up 29, get into 30. And I'm just telling you right now, you've heard me say this before, that it's a soap opera. Genesis 30 may be the biggest soap opera chapter that we've gone through in a long time. I mean, this is just right out of Hollywood. I mean, what happens here? There's four women with one guy. There's 12, actually 13 kids. This is going to be a mess. So. Genesis 29 and 30, if you're looking to make yourself feel better, come next week and look how rough they had it, okay? So let's pray and we'll let you guys go. Heavenly Father, help us to learn, help us to learn, Lord, to walk in truth, to walk in honesty, Lord, to walk in love, to walk in love. And Lord, if there's someone here feeling unloved, feeling hated, feeling used and despised, help Leah be an encouragement to them that you see and you know and you uplift. We say thank you for this, Lord. We lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.